0: As we get in this morning, I wonder, I think the answer to this is yes, but have have you ever lost anything, right? I think we've all lost different things. Uh, Maybe it's a wallet, or maybe it's a child, uh, maybe it's a, whatever it is, right? When you lose something, you know, even if you find it, like, even if it's not even that big a deal, like, you, like, you have this, like, terrible, like, you feel awful, or in my case, you feel dumb, because, like, you get so frustrated that you've looked everywhere, and you can't find it, and you're like, where is this thing? That even by the time you find it, you're not relieved, you're, like, so mad at yourself. Um, And so we lose things. In fact. I, when I, I'm one of those people that like puts my keys down and then five minutes later forgets where they are. But when it comes to things that are expensive and valuable, I don't lose them. Like I never lost a pair of sunglasses or anything like that. The only thing that I've ever lost is I lost my first cell phone. And I still remember it to this day because it still traumatizes me because I have no idea where it is. I have no idea how I lost it. But generally speaking, the expensive things I don't lose, things like, so that means my kids, I will not lose them, I promise, Um, I might lose their toys and that sort of thing. We've all lost something, and it feels pretty hopeless. And so the question I want us just to think about as we get ready ready this morning is, have you ever ever felt lost? Like, not just like, I can't find something in that hopelessness thing, but you, yourself, maybe uh, you're going through a difficult situation, maybe you're not sure what your future holds. I think we've all been there, Christian or not, where we felt lost, where we felt hopeless, where we felt like... I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't even know if my life really matters. I don't even know what to do next. And so I want us to keep that in mind as we read the passage that we're going to read this morning. Have you ever felt lost? And we'll come back and address how Jesus speaks to this at the end. Um, If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 11. Um, If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one somewhere around you. You could use your phone. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. Uh, I want to go ahead and let you know this morning, maybe you had a busy week or maybe you had a rough week and so you didn't have time to read your Bible. We are going to get you caught up on your week's worth of quiet time today, okay? So you're all going to be good after you walk out this morning. A couple of things to let you know about what's going on in this passage before we read it. If you were here last week, we're what we're doing is we're going through a series called I Am, Jesus and His Own Words. Where we're looking in the Gospel of John what Jesus says about himself, not what other people say about him, not what we think about him, what he actually says about himself. Last week we looked at how he calls himself the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for his sheep, for his people, and that ultimately ultimately that wasn't just like a thing that sounds cool to make us feel good, that we actually know Jesus gave his life down for us, which means that he loves us deeply, okay? He loves us deeply, and so we need to keep that in mind as we read what we're going to read this morning, because as we read probably the first three-fourths of this, it's not going to seem that like God really loves us, or like God really loves the main characters in this story, but yet he promises us that he does, and so that's the question, is how does God love us in the midst of difficult times. Can we actually know that he loves us? Does he actually love us? Because sometimes I think we question that. We're going to see the main characters in this story question that as well. And so we'll go ahead and kick off John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Again, Jesus has said he's the good shepherd, that he loves his flock, he loves creation, he loves people. And here this story uh, continues verse 1. It says this, now a man was sick Lazarus, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his, his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, so a message to Jesus, "'Lord, the one you love is sick.'" If you've read the Gospel of John, you know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are really close to Jesus. They're some of Jesus' disciples, and that they follow Jesus around from time to time. And so he cares for all three of them. He cares for the family, and he receives word from the sisters that Lazarus is really sick, really, really ill, and they want, they're telling him this because presumably they assume that Jesus can, and not only can he, but he will do something about it, right? He knows them deeply. He cares for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus deeply. Uh, Lazarus is really, really sick. And so they tell him, Jesus, can you come help us out? Because Lazarus, again, who you love, is sick. And so here's what happens next. Verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God. So that the Son of God, talking about himself, may be glorified through it. So first thing is he's setting up what is going to happen. He said, this sickness will not end in death, which is strange because if you know the story of what's going to happen, you're like, Jesus, why would you say that? Again, when we get to the end of the story, we'll see why he says this, but he says, ultimately, it's going to be okay. It's not going to ultimately end in death, and the reason why this is going to happen is going to be for the glory of God. And you may not know this, but all throughout scripture, the glory of God is also synonymous with the goodness of God. So he's saying, whatever's about to take place is going to be for my glory, but it's also going to be for your good, which is going to sound really strange when we see what's going to happen. So he continues, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So this is the second time it tells us that Jesus loves the people that are being affected by this, which means, again, it's going to be very confusing while Jesus is going to allow what is going to happen happen, because he loves them. Right? So keep that in mind. He loved them in Lazarus. So verse 6, so that when he heard he was sick, he went and healed him. Right? That's not what it says. You would think that's what it says because it says he loves him. Instead, it says this. He heard that he was sick, and then he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And again, he stays because he loves them, which sounds really strange. Verse 7, then after that, he said to his disciples, so the 12 disciples that he had that were with him, let's go to Judea again. Again, so, and here's what's interesting about this passage. We have to ask this question, why? Why did Jesus stay and allow them to suffer if he loved them and could have left right away and fixed the situation? Why did he do that? Better yet, maybe you're going through something or you have gone through something. We've all been there where we say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why didn't you stop this from happening? We've all been there. God, why, if you love me, why did you do nothing about it. That's the question that they're asking. That's the question that we can ask. He waits, and then he finally waits two more days and decides to go. So verse 8, it says this, Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again. So if you've been with us through this series multiple times, we haven't actually read it in those passages, but multiple times following these I am statements of Jesus, they try to kill him because Jesus is clearly saying that he is God. He has just left this area where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live, and so the disciples are like, dude, if we go back there, they're going to kill you. Why would you go back there?" He responds by saying this, verse 9. "Aren't aren't there 12 hours in a day?" Jesus answered, "If anybody walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. So when he says there's 12 hours in the day, that just meant that there was 12 sunlight hours. So back then when the sun went down, the day was over, you, didn't, you went to sleep pretty much, you didn't do any work. And so what he's saying is that now while I'm alive, we are living in the light. Again, Jesus calls himself the light of the world, which means that sometimes following the will of God, which is, is God's will for Jesus to go back to where Mary, Ma- Martha, and Lazarus are, sometimes following the will of God means things may not go well for you in this life. Sometimes following the will of God means things will be difficult and things will be hard. Yet in that, you know that there's still grace and peace and a promise of a future for you. And so they're kind of freaking out about what's going on. Why would we go back there? And he says, man, even if this is going to be difficult for us, when you are following the will of God, you are actually walking in the light. And so he says, we're going to go back. Verse 11, he said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. So they're thinking if he's just asleep, he'll be fine. Jesus is saying, and back then, falling asleep was an expression of someone has died. He's literally saying, no, actually, Lazarus has actually died. So again, he elaborates on that in verse 13. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. He was speaking about the death of Lazarus. But they they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So Lazarus has died, he could have fixed it, he could have avoided the situation, but he didn't, and then he says this in verse 15, he's died, and I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Isn't that crazy? He loves them, and he says, but I'm glad for you that I wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe, and we'll see why coming up. And then verse 16, it says this, Then Thomas, who was one of the twelve disciples, who was also called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to him so that we may d- die with him. So they're like, we have no idea what's going to happen, but Jesus is going back. He's probably going to die. We're probably going to die with him. So they continue. A couple days later, it's about a two-day journey from where Jesus was to where Lazarus and Mary and Martha were. It says this, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now that is very significant, which we'll get back to when we finish the story, but he had been in the tomb for four days, so he had already been dead for four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, so uh, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. So he's kind of about two miles out at this point. A lot of Jews, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were pretty wealthy, um, and so they probably had a lot of friends and family, and also back then, the more money you had, you would actually hire professional mourners, I guess you can call them that, that would mourn with your family during the week of mourning, and so that's all going on. Verse 20, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So there we see it again, right? Mary, sa- uh, <clears throat> Mary said, or sorry, Martha said, "If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Why were you not?" here. And again, we've all done this. Maybe you were in an accident, and you say, God, or maybe someone you knew that was in an accident, you say, God, why, how come they couldn't have been five seconds later? Or how come the drunk driver uh, couldn't have ran the red light or ran a different red light? Like, God, why didn't you stop this? God, this diagnosis, uh, why didn't you, you could have done whatever needed to be done in my body, so this couldn't happen, and yet you didn't do this. God, we can't have kids. You can make it possible for us to have kids. God, why can't you done this? My friend who got injured, and this happened to them, why weren't, you there. In my situation, you know my story, and I'll just be honest with you. Uh, my, I lost my dad when I was 19 to a suicide. It was a Saturday morning. Friday night, I was supposed to be home, but I had a change of plans, and if I had been home, I guarantee you he would not have taken his life that morning. So then I could say, God, why did you change my plans? God, why wasn't I there? We've all asked these questions, have we not? Whether it was about you or someone you knew and someone you loved, God, if you love me, Why? Why? And this is what Mary is saying, or Martha is saying, God, we told you, Jesus, we told you, you could have done something and you didn't. Why didn't you do it? I thought you loved me. We've all said those things, right? And that's what is Martha is feeling, understandably so, in this situation. She says again, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Maybe she would have continued on and said some other things. And the next recorded thing we have that she said, though, was verse 22. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus, I don't know why you didn't come. You say you love me. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And hopefully this will work out however it's supposed to work out. But I just want you to know, God, you could have done something and you did not And that makes no sense to me. Here's how Jesus responds, verse 23. He says this, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the last day. And so Jesus says, My, your brother will rise again. She thinks he's talking about how when God returns and resurrects those who have honored and loved him from the dead to enter into his kingdom, that's what Jesus or, or Martha is thinking Jesus is talking about. As we're about to find out, Jesus is not talking about that. He's actually saying that he will physically come back to life. And so then how this is how Jesus responds to her. She thinks he's talking about the resurrection, which Jesus will bring about when he returns a second time. He's talking about Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, Lazarus' death, and so he goes on and says this, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Here's what he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. And what this means is Jesus won't just bring about the resurrection that we as believers are looking forward to. Uh, He won't just bring about that when he comes a second time. What he's saying here is that I, I am the resurrection. It's not just an event, it's a person, right? The resurrection from the dead and eternal life from God are so tied into Jesus that it is only realized in him. That is what he is saying to us. In other words, he is claiming to be God because he's the one that's going to bring about the resurrection of the dead. And there are only those who believe in him will be able to partake in this resurrection that he is talking about. He's saying this resurrection and this true life that we look forward to are going to take place in me, which again means this, that the resurrection where God uh, brings us into his kingdom is not just an event, it's a person. And that person is Jesus. The resurrection, again, is not just an event, it's a person, and that person is Jesus, which means that neither resurrection nor true life happens outside of him. That is what he is saying, that this resurrection, this hope that we look forward to when we are given new bodies and there's no more pain and suffering and we live in, in your kingdom where it's unimaginably more amazing than anything we can think of, only happens through Jesus. Again, the resurrection is not just an event, it's a person and then he continues on the next two verses and says this everyone who live in verse 26 everyone who lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this saying to martha martha says yes lord she told him i believe you are the messiah the son of god who comes into the world and what jesus is wanting us to know here is that Jesus, when he gives us life, he gives us life that never ends. And what's interesting is that scripture points to entering into God's kingdom, is that is when life truly begins. So like the life we live in now is kind of a fog, and we see glimpses of God's goodness, and we see a lot of evil, but we don't actually experience true life until we see Jesus face to face. And so what he's saying, in order for that to happen, we need to understand that the resurrection is not just an event, and it's a person, which means here's what we need to know this morning. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That is what he is telling us this morning. Again, it's not just an event, it's a person. The resurrection is synonymous with Jesus, and partaking in his resurrection and experiencing true life is only found in him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and here is why we need to know this. Because without resurrection, there is no life. Without resurrection, without Jesus, there is no life, and that is what Jesus is saying. These, this miracle that he's about to perform, as we're going to see, and I've, as I've said previous weeks in this series, that Jesus never says anything or does anything haphazardly. He doesn't say really cool things and really wise things for the crowd to be like, oh, that sounded cool, or he doesn't do really cool miracles for the crowds to be like, oh, that was really cool. No, every time he says something or he does something, he's making an emphatic point. And what he's saying today to us in this passage is that without him, there is no life, there is no hope, there is no future for any of us apart from him. That is why he came. And he continues, by t- continues this thought by continuing in the story. So let's pick up back in verse 28. It says this, so having said this, after he said to, Mar- to-, to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life and that life is only found in him. Um, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling you. So she goes back to her sister Mary, and I guess Jesus said, go get your sister or something like that, and she goes and gets Mary and said, Jesus is, again, he's a little, he's about two miles out, he wants you, you and I to come back to him. So as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to cry there. So she thought, they thought she was going back to the tomb, and so they go again, they're going and following her. So it's not just Mary and Martha, but now there's going to be a crowd that's going to experience what's about to take place. Verse 32, as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Again, this is not going to be a surprise to us. What does she say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God, or not God, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You could have stopped this. You said you loved us. We've been following you. We've probably, honestly, we don't know this from the text, but I would be willing to bet they probably financially supported Jesus' ministry. They've done all these things for him. They said, God, I've, I've honored you. I've given to your ministry. I've been a good person. We've loved you, and you let this happen. Why did you let this happen? I thought you were good, and I thought that you cared. Understandably, it doesn't say this in the text, but if that was me, that's probably what I would have been saying. How dare you, Jesus? That's probably what I would have said. That's probably what they felt. You loved me, you said you cared, and you let this happen. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Here's how it continues. Let me me just, again, let me just emphasize this one more point. Again, what are they saying? Where were you? Which means, before we continue reading, here's what this means for us. And we'll see this as we finish this story. But if God does love us, and God does care about us, and he allows suffering to happen, could it not mean that sometimes the most loving thing he could do is by allowing us to suffer? In other words, sometimes it would not be loving for him to spare us from suffering. You say, how is that possible? Because if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and true life can only be found in him, then sometimes the most loving thing for him to do is to allow us to experience suffering so that we can lean into him and lean into his glory and see his goodness, right? That's why he allows us to suffer. Does this mean that he doesn't love them or does this mean that he has something greater for them? Again, loving does not always, uh, again, the most loving thing God could do is allow us to see our need for him, right? If he is the resurrection and life and there's no true life found in him and one day we will stand before the judgment seat of God, is not the most loving thing he could do in this life is to show us our need for him so that we will trust in him when we, before we meet him face to face. To me, it seems like there could be something greater going on here, and that's exactly what we're going to see. So verse 33 continues. When Jesus saw her crying, probably, again, this is crazy because she's probably really mad at Jesus, probably may have said some hurtful things to Jesus. I don't know, but she probably thought them, and maybe she wouldn't, but this is how I would have been if I was her. He saw her crying, and then the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And in verse 35, it says this, Jesus wept. Now, here's the question. Why does Jesus weep, right? And to give the story away for just a minute, he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, as he's already said. So he does not reap for his friend that has died because he's going to fix the situation. Instead, he weeps, and what we, we see from the story, uh, that he weeps for two reasons. He weeps out of outrage, and he weeps out of compassion. When it says in his spirit, his spirit was troubled, in and, and the Greek, it doesn't translate fully uh, what he was actually experiencing. It was, it was kind of like an anger, like a, a sadness and an anger is what that text is really saying. And so there's two reasons why he weeps. One is because he's outraged. Why is he outraged? He's outraged for a few reasons. One, all of these people who supposedly love God, and I'm sure that they do, are weeping as if there is no resurrection from the dead, which is what the New Testament talks about. We have a hope, even though we suffer, even though we should be sad, even though it stinks when people die. In Jesus, we know that this is not the end. So while we suffer, we don't have, we don't live as people who do not have hope. They were living as people who do not have hope. He's also outraged because why? He created, originally, the creator of the earth to be good, and he loved his creation. What he has seen is that people are sick have sin has entered the world, that death has entered the world, that he's going around telling people who he is, that he has come to offer them life and hope and forgiveness and grace, all these I am statements that we have been reading, and nobody's getting it, or many people aren't getting it. And so he's saddened for those people that he came to love and die for, and they don't see it because they're blinded by their sin, that life is actually found in him. So he's outraged, kind of a righteous outrage at the situation, that death and sin and destruction are in the world, and people are missing out on who Jesus is. And then he also weeps because of, because of compassion, because he loves Mary and Martha. And this is, this is fascinating to me. He is the one that allowed Lazarus to die, and yet he still weeps for them. Why? Because he loves them. What does this show us? This show us that God does not just care about humanity in total. He doesn't just care about creation, you know, big picture, but he cares about you. And He cares about me, and when we 're suffering, even if it 's self-inflicted or, or something happened to us that we can 't control, he cares. He cares that God of the universe cares, because that 's what he shows us right here. Mary and Martha individually are suffering, and so he weeps out of compassion for them. And then verse 36 and 37 it says this, So the Jews said, "See how he loved him, they think he 's crying." because he loved Lazarus which is not why he's crying but some of them said couldn't he who opened the blind man uh, the blind man's eyes also kept this man from dying again we see this again he could have stopped this Why didn't he stop this? He says he loves them. He says he cares for them, and he didn't stop this. Right, nobody understands what's going on. Nobody understands what's going on in this situation. And so before we read this last passage of the story, I just want to tell us what we need to understand about this so that as we're reading these last few verses, we can kind of really see what's going on. Here's what we need to do. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and there is no life found outside of him, then what we need to do is to believe in the resurrection and the life that we need to believe in the resurrection and the life. In other words, we need to believe and trust in Jesus and what he has done for us. And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to demonstrate what happens to those who believe in him, what will ultimately happen to those who believe in him. So we just need to understand that as we're reading this last section here, that Jesus is calling us to believe in him, and he's Allowing the situation to occur so that people would see that life is only found in him. So let's finish the story, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, upset, saddened again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench here because he has been dead for four days. I just want to explain how fascinating this is to me, this whole four days thing. So back then there was a Jewish belief that when you died, your spirit hovered over your body for three days. And then on the fourth day, it went away. So basically, the thought was that your spirit really wanted to enter into your body, and then about by day four, the decomposition really starts happening, so the spirit knows, okay, they're dead, and so the spirit leaves. And so here's what's fascinating about the story. If it's a two-day journey for Jesus to get there, and Jesus waited two days to even leave, that means that Lazarus had already been dead for two days by the time Jesus found out. Lazarus has already been dead by, for two days by the time Jesus found out. So then you would say, if Lazarus was already dead, why did Jesus wait two days? Why didn't he just go and heal him right away? here's why. He wanted to wait for four days. Now, we know, scripturally speaking, that your spirit hovering over your body for three days and then going to heaven or wherever uh, wherever it goes, wherever the Jews would have thought it would go, is not true. That does not happen. So why did Jesus wait? Because even when we get things wrong, even when we have superstitions, Jesus still meets us where we are in our culture. And you can look at it this way for the Jews. You know when you were in elementary school or middle school and you liked a girl or a boy? Like, you could like them or you could like like them. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference. Like, do you like her? Do you like like her? Like, there, there was a difference, right? And so what Jesus is doing is he's waiting four days, because apparently for the Jews, there was a difference between being dead and being dead dead, you know what I'm saying? And so he wanted them to know that Lazarus was dead dead before he did anything about it, right? Which again, right, it's funny, but this is fascinating, right? That even though that that belief is wrong, he could have came in the second day, rose Lazarus from the dead, and it would not have been, he would not have been any more dead than he already was. He's still speaking to the cultural superstitions and things that were going on to show them, no, what I'm about to do is change his life and change your life. And this hope is found in me. So he's been dead for four days. Verse 40, it says this, Jesus said to her, looks at Martha, probably Mary, probably the whole crowd of people that are like, Jesus, why? Why didn't you do this? I thought you cared. Why didn't you do anything about this? This is what he says. Didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you if you believed that you would see The goodness of God. And here's the thing about Jesus. Even when we don't believe, it doesn't make him any less good. Even when we don't believe, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want to show us his glory any less. And so here's what happens, verse 41. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me because of the crowd standing here. I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After, this, he, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound head and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to, him, to them, unwrap him and let him go. Here's what's going on in this situation. What Jesus is doing is he's foreshadowing what he will ultimately do when he returns again. That Jesus is showing us that the resurrection and the life is only found in him, and he wants us to understand that true life is only found in him. And I guarantee you, I'm not there, but I guarantee you there were people on that, that day that said, yep, he's the Messiah, I'm following him. And if the resurrection and the life is the most important thing for us to understand and know, is it not the most loving thing for God to do to allow us to suffer if that will show us who he is? Now you may be saying, I've suffered sometimes, I don't see God in this, why did God allow this? Listen, I'm not God, I don't know why he allows certain things, and we have a part to play in this. We have a part to play in this. When we're suffering, we can run to God, or we can run away from God. The choice is up to us, but he allows us to go things, even if they're bad, even if we would never want them to go through them again, so that we can experience who he is. And if he uses that to show us true life, to show us that he is in the resurrection and the life, then I would say that that is the most loving thing he could do. And I guarantee you people's lives were changed for eternity Because God allowed Lazarus to be dead for four days so that he could show them his love for them. And here's what this means. That again, we need to believe in the resurrection and life. We need to believe in Jesus. Why? Here's why. Because without Jesus, we are spiritually what Lazarus was physically. Without Jesus, we are spiritually but Lazarus was physically now when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead he did not give Lazarus his resurrected body so Lazarus still had the same old body we know that when Jesus died and resurrected from the dead Jesus actually had his resurrected body how do we know that because people couldn't really understand or recognize who he was until he said who he was uh, Jesus also could walk through walls which i'm telling you that's awesome okay when we talk about the kingdom of god being awesome like walking through walls and probably love it like i'm all for that that's going to be awesome right and so Jesus so Lazarus did not give his resurrected body, but he was showing it was a symbol of what we are like and what we are destined for apart from Jesus. That if we do not believe in the resurrection of, the, of Jesus and the life that he offers, that we will be physically dead, that we will spend eternity away from him because we rejected the gift that he has given given us. I want to read really quick Ephesians 2. Uh, It'll be on the screen. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. I'll skip a few verses. Again, talking about what's happening here. Here's what Ephesians says, written by the Apostle Paul. He says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Again, we were like Lazarus spiritually, what he was physically. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has had for us made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is is God's gift not from work so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We are saved by grace. And with this story, I just want to read a, a, pope, uh, a quote from John Piper, who's a pastor and a theologian, talking about the story we read, and here's what he says, that it was more loving to put Lazarus through death and put his sisters through grief if that would reveal more of God's glory to them. Why? Because he has come to offer us life and hope in a future. And sometimes it is through suffering that we see what he gives. And so here's the bottom line for us this morning that I want us to walk away with, and that's this. That whoever finds Jesus, finds life. Whoever finds Jesus, finds life. And here's why. It is because of Jesus' personal death, burial, and resurrection that we get to one day participate in the resurrection that he offers. This is the gospel that Jesus came and was perfect and was loving, and was never prideful, was never selfish, was never any of these things, laid down his life for us so that anybody who would put their trust and just be honest that they're a broken person, that I'm a broken person, that I need forgiveness, that I need a savior. That is why Jesus came. And when we see what Jesus has done for us, or well, it's not about us measuring up. It's not about us being a good person and going to him. It's not about us getting our lives together. What does it say in Ephesians? That we were dead that we were dead, there was nothing we could do. And that is why Jesus came, to offer us grace, to offer us hope, to offer us love, to offer us forgiveness, and for us to one day participate in the resurrection and in his kingdom that one day he will right every wrong, that one day he will somehow resurrect us with our bodies. I have no idea what that's going to look like or how that's going to be. And we will will live in his kingdom for all eternity. We can walk through walls, and it's going to be awesome. There's going to be no more pain, no more death. The Panthers are going to win the Super Bowl every year, and Duke's going to win the championship. It's just going to be great. And why? Because of Jesus, not because of you. Because of Jesus and not because of me. This is why Jesus came, to offer us life, to offer us hope and to offer us grace. And he allowed the death of Lazarus, he allowed the suffering of his sisters for us to see the goodness and the glory of him. So I don't know what you're going through right now and I can't tell you how it's gonna work out for you, but here's what I want you to know, that Jesus is wanting you to lean into him in it. Even if it's unfair, even if you don't know how it's gonna work out, we have a future hope where we know that this is not the end because of what Christ has done for us. And all we have to do is accept the invitation to come and follow him. Whoever finds Jesus finds life. That is why he came. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your life and your goodness and your grace. Thank you for coming and dying and giving your life and defeating death and resurrecting on your own so that we can one day participate in the life and the grace and the resurrection that you offer. God, I just want to take a moment and pray for those in this room, those in our church, uh, and those in Raleigh and those across the world that are going through difficult times and they don't understand, and they don't know why. God, I don't know why. I look at difficult things in my life and looking back, sometimes I can see it, sometimes I can't. I don't know why. But my prayer is that in the midst of the pain and the depression and the hardness of life, that we would turn to you. That we would trust and know that you love us. We would trust and know that you came to offer us life and resurrection and hope. And while we may have no idea how you're going to work through this situation, here's what we know, that this life is not all there is. That you came so that we can participate in true life, So whether we have an amazing life here or maybe we have a terrible life here, we know that this is just but a short time till we get to see you face to face and live in the glory of your kingdom. So I pray for all of us in this room that we would know and experience who you are, for those that may not know you, that maybe they would know and understand for the first time that you love them, that you care for them, and those of us that maybe are followers of Christ, that maybe we just need to be reminded in the midst of a really hard time that you are good, even if we don't understand, that we can trust in you And that if this is bringing us closer to you, even though it's hard, in the end, it's because you love us. And I just pray, God, I just pray that we could trust you. Trust is knowing that, no matter what is happening, even if we don't understand that, we, we trust that you're in control. And I just pray that you would help us do that. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for being the resurrection and the life for us. And God, I just pray that we would be encouraged and reminded of your love and your grace. And we would never forget the sacrifice that you made for us. In Jesus' name I pray.